0: This is KBLA Talk 1580, our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. You're listening to You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown, world-renowned motivator, who continues today his radio residency exclusively all month long here on KBLA Talk 1580. Hard to believe that a week from tomorrow, this radio residency will come to a close. We've been so enlightened inspired encouraged and empowered by these master classes being taught daily by Les Brown and we are uh, honored to have him uh, once again today uh, teaching a master class uh, on how to make the most of this moment uh, and move uh, into the months and years ahead with a renewed sense of purpose today's theme is how to find peace in the midst of the storm how to find peace in the midst of the storm, I yield now, as I do every day, to the gentleman from Liberty City in Miami, Les Brown. Thank you so very much.
1: I, I wanted to, today, to first thank you, and and I, I love W.E. Du Bois and the, the letters that he and Marcus Garvey had going back and forth. Have you ever read those letters? I
0: have, indeed. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it was fascinating. Those two minds locking together. Uh, something that I, I want us to focus on right now, and and that is how to find peace when you are marginalized. How to find find peace when you are in a culture that does not recognize your humanity. How how to do that? And a person who I feel that was the embodiment of that, and was the spiritual ambassador for the Civil Rights Movement was Dr. Howard Thurman. And Dr. Thurman uh, was a a man that everybody in the Civil Rights Movement during his day recognized and went to for counsel. Daddy King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his father, uh, when he uh, talked to Dr. King at a level where he felt that he'd done all he could do for him, he sent him to Howard Thurman to be mentored by Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman in 1935 led a six month delegation uh, to India and met with and talked with Mahatma Gandhi. He had a tremendous influence on, on leaders around the world. A, a book that I've read for the sixth time called Jesus and the Disinherited. Mm-hmm. That's a book by Dr. Howard Thurman, his, his, his greatest work and had great influence on the civil rights movement. And he was a man that he 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 became he had he the pastor of the first interracial interdenominational church in the United States. Uh, he studied under Doctor Benjamin Mays. Uh, the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples, the church that he started. He graduated from Morehouse College in 1923 and there are things that we can learn from him because as we begin to to face something that we don't talk about, and that is the impact that racism has on our mental health. When you look at racism, the systemic and structural racism, interpersonal racism, institutional racism, internalized racism, reverse racism, oppression and, and racial trauma. It's, it's traumatizing. And so he gives us some anchors of things that we can do today that can allow us to, to use those on, on a regular basis. And, and one of the things that he believed in, he said that we must, in the midst of whatever we are dealing with, we must create a ritual that will connect us within ourselves so that we can continuously revisit the reality that there's more to us than just being a bag of bones and blood, that we have a divine presence in us that enable us to handle whatever life throws at us. And he talked about this from the perspective that when you're in a, in a, a culture that does not recognize your humanity. He was working at this white family's house and a little girl came outside, a little white girl, and he was raking leaves and, and she just came out and just deliberately messed him up. And he said, don't do that. And she messed him up again and started spreading them all over the yard. And he said, if you do that again, I'm going to tell your mother. And then he realized, that he made a mistake because her mother was wrapped around her finger. She manipulated her mother, but her father, that was a different issue. He said, I'm going to tell your father. And that little girl got angry and she came over to him and she had a ballpoint pen and she stuck him with it. Mm. She stabbed him with it and he said, ow. And she said, you can't feel that. You're a Negro. That little young girl had been taught that we can't feel pain, that we are self-human. And and he said that we must always anchor ourselves in the sense of spirituality, not religiosity, because you only hear ministers talk about Howard Thurman. Mm -hmm. He was not into organized religion. He has a sense of spirituality that we have to constantly work on remaining in a place within ourselves that regardless of what's going on outside of us, the irreducible evidence of who we are, that divine presence, is where we must anchor ourselves in order to navigate the storms of life and all the things that we are going to be faced with. We must take responsibility for our own growth mentally, emotionally, and personally To maintain a level of mental health.
0: Mm. Let me start with this. Um, If you have not ever read Jesus and the Disinherited, the book uh, by Howard Thurman that Les Brown references now, let me just suggest to you (laughs) in Black History Month, it's a book you ought to add to your collection. Um, If you've not read it, I can promise you that you will be enlightened, encouraged, empowered, inspired. I can also promise you, you're gonna be challenged. Howard Thurman is gonna challenge you to re-examine the assumptions you hold, but he'll also help you expand your inventory of ideas. If you have never read the book, Jesus and the Disinherited, uh, I recommend it um, uh, as one you might want to delve into. Uh, uh, Like Les, I've read it more than once, uh, and there's a great deal to take away from that book. So one, let me just recommend that book, Jesus, and the Disinherited. First of all, first of all, I just love the title. I, I mean, when I first got exposed to it many years ago, I'm like, who would name a book Jesus and the Disinherited? That just sounds like something I want to read. Um, so it's a great title, but it's even it's even greater when you crack the pages of it. And and we'll talk about that in a moment with Les and get his take uh, his takeaways from why that book means so much to him, why he's read it a half dozen times. We'll talk about that in a moment. I promise you. But let me let me let me ask this question right quick, uh, Les, before we move forward. Um, when Howard Thurman talks about that, we need a ritual in your life, in your work and in your witnesses, you are the motivator. You're the one that motivates all the rest of us in this country and indeed around the world to make the most of the moment that we find ourselves in. Have you had rituals in your, in your, in your process?
1: I have, and I still do. Mm-hmm. When I get up in the morning, I have seven things that I write down that I'm grateful for. Mm. And I have affirmations that I repeat to myself. Lord, whatever I face today, together you and I can handle it. Every day and every way, I'm getting better and better. I'm getting healthier and healthier. I'm getting stronger and stronger. And and not only do that, I do that, but I also do it with my kids. He did something that was very strategic. He was at a Daytona Beach park in Florida. He took his two little girls out to the park. And some white people came out and, and they called the police and said, there's some niggers in the park. And, and the white people started screaming. For them to leave the park and and calling them all type of dirty names and making monkey sounds and a variety of of, of racial things that you just should not do to anybody, to say nothing about a man with his daughters in the park. And so his daughters, they didn't know what was going on. and, And they became frightened. And he said, don't be frightened. And they asked, why? And he said, because you are so beautiful and you're so wonderful that the people in this neighborhood have come out to cheer you (laughs) as we get ready to leave now (laughs) and just wave at them and throw them kisses and say thank you because they came out to pay tribute to you because you are two little queens as he left the park with his daughters Because he did not want them to know and internalize the hatred that was being thrown at them by these white people and give them the mindset that there was something
0: wrong with them because they were black. Brilliant parenting. (laughs) Woe is right. Woe is right. Brilliant parenting on the spot. I don't know that any of us would have thought to flip that thing in that moment to protect his babies the way Howard Thurman did it. Brilliant brilliant parenting in the heat of the moment. Uh, We're just getting started around here in this hour of You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown on KBLA Talk 1580. This is You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown, uh, exclusively on KBLA Talk, 1580. Les Brown continues right now his uh, month-long radio residency on this station. Today's theme is how to find peace in the midst of the storm. And his resident uh, example today of how we do that is the great theologian uh, Howard Thurman, who wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. That book uh, uh, comes to production after a number of sermons. Uh, that uh, Howard Thurman delivered on that particular topic, Jesus and the Disinherited, and what he essentially does in the book, if I can put it this way, is um, he he interprets the teachings of Jesus through the experience of the oppressed, and discusses, of course, nonviolent responses to oppression. This is one of the books. That Dr. King relied on heavily during the Montgomery bus boycott as King was leading that boycott in, that bus boycott in Montgomery. King relied heavily on the writings of Thurman in this book, Jesus and the Disinherited, for how to navigate all these black folk doing something that black folk had never done in that way. Coming together, getting off of these buses in a nonviolent way, uh, pushing back against the oppression Uh, and forcing the city of Montgomery eventually to change the rules, to change the laws, and allow black folk to sit wherever they want to sit on those buses. I said on this program the other day, it is, to my mind, still the greatest example of black unity, I think, in the history of black folk in this country. Uh, I I, I would welcome any retort to that, any response to that, any pushback, but to my mind, I cannot think of a greater uh, example uh, than the Montgomery bus boycott when all these black folk got together. They all got on one page. The Bible might say they all got on one accord and they made something happen in Montgomery. But this book, Jesus and the Disinherited, is the book that King was uh, tapping into literally almost every day to help him uh, navigate our people through that process in Montgomery. Before we jump into this theme uh straight uh, straight away, uh Les, how to find peace in the midst of the storm in our own lives in real time, I uh, asked earlier about your rituals, and you you, you addressed that. Uh, but again, before we went too fast, though, and too far, tell me why this book, Jesus and the Disinherited, means so much to you, and why you've read it a half a dozen times.
1: There's a quote that I love very much. He said, we must find ways to live with dignity and hope, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. When I decided to become a motivational speaker, and I fell on, tough times. And I was living in Detroit in the Penobscot building in my office on the 21st floor and bathing in the sink down the hall and hiding in the closet from the janitorial staff that came in to clean up. And I had to leave the next morning. I read that statement over and over again. I held my head up. The, the, the security there, they knew that I was staying in my office Management had already said that that's not an apartment building, it's an office. But I held my head up, and I still had hope in spite of my situation. I held the vision of going through this and growing through it and knowing my time would come. And that gave me strength. It said, look, you go through this, but you don't have to lose it. You might be in a desperate situation, but you don't have to become a desperate person. Hold strong to your conviction that you're going to make it, even though you can't receive the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stay the course. And I got a lot of strength from him on that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You talked earlier about... um finding peace in the midst of the storm, even when you are living a life that is being marginalized by others. You've motivated folk again for decades now. Uh, by the way, happy belated birthday. I, I know you got my message on Friday. Friday was Les Brown's 78th birthday. So just a couple of days ago, the motivated Les Brown achieved the age of 78. So we are celebrating uh, belatedly today on president's day, his birthday Again, last Friday, uh, Les Brown achieved the age of 78, and we're glad about it, uh, particularly given that we are uh, the, 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 the station that is uh, the beneficiary of his wisdom and his insight uh, throughout this radio residency this month. But you've, you've counseled so many others, Les, about how to deal with marginalization. Uh, for those who've never heard you address that particular topic or subject, what do you say to people about how to navigate moments in their lives where they are being marginalized by others?
1: The main thing is don't buy into what's said about you and don't even buy into what has been done to you relentlessly look for a way to win. When I, uh, one of the defining moments for me in pursuit of becoming a motivational speaker and speaking for corporations, and there's nobody that looked like me ever been on the stage to go out and talk to white corporations about how to achieve their goals. One of the things that that, that really got me that, that I learned from Sermon, and, and that was just be relentless and dogmatic and find a way to win in spite of what happens to you in spite of what you go through and 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 one of the situations that i found myself in i had to speak at an organization in wildwood florida and they had put pictures up on the wall of les brown and his band arena he's a band leader so when i came at the back of the theater and said hi my name is les brown the, the guy missed the he almost fainted are you Les Brown are you his driver? I said, no, I'm Les Brown. He said, well, who in the hell are you? I said, I'm Les Brown. I'm Mrs. Mamie Brown's baby boy. I laughed, laugh, but he didn't laugh. So he turned and he walked away and then he came back and he spit on my shoe. Thank God he did not spit in my face. And then he turned and he went to the microphone. And he introduced me, Tavis. Mm. I looked down and I remember something that Dr. Thurman said, never take your eyes on why you are here. And I, I didn't even take the time to wipe my shoe off. I just walked out. He put the microphone in the stand. He wouldn't turn and shake my hand. He wanted everybody in the audience to know I had nothing to do with this. In this audience, all white, they started applauding, except for the one little black girl who saw it and who invited me there. She was the only one at this school. And I said, the only reason I'm going to take this is because of her, not lose my temper. And I saw a sign that said, seize the moment in this moment to live your dreams, and they were determined not to respond to me no matter what I said. And I just went inside myself, I said, as you look at this day, on this moment, as we come to celebrate your children, your grandchildren, this special moment that you have prayed for, oh, is the time for you to stand and give them a round of applause. And I knew they would stand up and give their children a round of applause. Then I asked their children to stand up and give your parents and your neighbors and your relatives a round of applause for supporting you on this special moment and they said now that everybody looked at me say, "Now what you going to do?" <laughs> <laughs> and boy, let me tell you something, I got a load, a download from heaven.
2: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
1: What I got through with them there, I'm going to send you the tape. They almost spoke an unknown tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and you, we have those moments in life, as he talks about, that when we stand our ground, when our back is up against the wall, and you know that's a piece that he talks about, a sermon that mm-hmm. most men go through life with their back up against the wall. And and my back was against the wall, but I didn't back down. I stepped forward. And that's what we must do as we're going through the trauma of racism, as we're going through all the things that's taking place right now, to know that this is a defining moment, that we are stronger than anything that they can throw at us now. And we must step forward, step into it, and handle it.
0: What did you learn in that moment? And I'm sure that's not the only moment you've had like that. I I can tell you as one who uh, I'm not the motivator, Les Brown, but as you know, I've done my share of speaking over the decades uh, around the world. Uh, And it is the case um, that whether you are a motivational speaker or a Tavis Smiley or just giving a presentation uh, uh, to your colleagues at work uh, at some point. Uh, you're going to be up addressing somebody and you're going to be facing a tight audience, an audience that doesn't really want to receive you. Uh, persons in the audience, who don't believe that you have any business presenting to them. You know what I'm talking about, Les? You're going to be in front of somebody uh, or somebody's that don't think you ought to be where you are giving the presentation. What did you learn in that moment? I got about two minutes to go here uh, before news, traffic and sports. What did you learn in that moment about how to turn a tight audience?
1: I learned in that moment how to take people to a place in themselves. They, they could not go by themselves by talking through me. So when I said to them, this special moment, I remember a point in my life, and I didn't think I had what it would take. In this special moment, I remember the time as a kid that was labeled educable, mentally retarded, and nobody told me that I could make it. And I want to say to you young people, you're going to have that and your parents know that. But in this special moment, what we must do is affirm ourselves and say to ourselves, as I said to myself, that you got it. You have something special. You an unrepeatable miracle. You've got greatness in you. And I say to you, as your parents have said to you, your grandparents and your friends and your neighbors, I say to you that you must encourage yourself and say, I've got greatness in me. And I want you to stand up now and applaud your dreams. And so what you do is applaud them. Mm. What you do is affirm them. Mm. I never talk to an audience about what they should do. I talk about the things that I did not do. And had I done those things, I know my life would have been different. Had I studied, had I been consistent had I not given up at moments in my life when I was disappointed. I know some of you can understand what I'm talking about, but something in me said that I must get up. Something in me said that keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Uh, So by affirming them and not preaching to them and create an experience where you talk to yourself a soliloquy and they begin to have a connection with
0: you. You can't correct unless you connect. You listen to the motivator Les Brown on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. I'm still processing that jewel that uh, the world renowned motivator Les Brown just dropped moments ago. You can't correct unless you connect. You can't correct unless you connect. Um, You're listening to You Gotta Be Hungry with Les Brown exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580 as Les Brown continues his month-long radio residency. On this station, if you have a question for Les Brown between now and next Tuesday, the 28th, uh, the last day of Black History Month, will be his last master class. Go to our website, kbla1580.com. Click on the ask less icon and send us your question, or use the open mic feature on our app. You can record audibly uh, a question for Les Brown, we'll play that as well. So, two different ways to get your questions to Les Brown between now and next Tuesday, the 28th of February. Les, you were talking earlier about. Uh, dignity and what you learned from Howard Thurman and his book Jesus and the Disinherited uh, about this notion of dignity and we were all just kind of uh, listening intently when you shared that story moments ago about the white man who s- spat on your shoes and thankfully not your face uh, as you were about to take the stage um, for this appearance in Florida many years ago. Uh, again, let's turned 78 on Friday. He's been doing this quite well and for quite a long time. So less less has stories, less has experiences. I was thinking as you were telling that story about a moment, and I, I, I regret to report that I didn't measure up the way you did in your moment. Uh, this audience knows that Dr. King is my hero. I regard Dr. King as the greatest American this country has ever produced. That's my assessment. And this audience knows that I wrote a book called Death of a King about the last year in Dr. King's life. So King is my man. He's he's my guy. Um, and and yet with that said, uh, King was a pacifist and I am not. If you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. We're going to go at it. So I love Dr. King, but I'm not a pacifist. So I don't know what I would have done that day if somebody had spat on my shoes, uh, even though it wasn't my face. And so um, there was a moment in my life some years ago, many years ago, where somebody got in my face at the wrong time. And how can I put this? Uh, I lost my Kingian commitment to nonviolence. I'll put it that way. I lost in that moment my Kingian commitment to nonviolence. And after all was said and done, um, as uh, as you likely suspect, uh, I felt horrible about it. Um, I, I, I didn't measure up to my own ideals. I failed myself less in that particular moment. And I was talking to a very wise and dear friend of mine who said to me after listening to me, Tabis, I understand, but let me leave you with this. Even when you are justified, you want to remain dignified. Even when you are justified, you want to remain dignified. I tell this story in one of my books, Fail Up, about that moment and what happened and how I just failed myself But the lesson from that experience lesson was that even when you're justified, you have to remain dignified. On that particular day, you were justified, but you remained dignified. What do you say to persons listening right now who have had this experience already in their life and will have more experiences like it, where even when people maltreat them and they are justified in those moments, the goal is to remain, as you did, dignified.
1: The way that you do that is you continuously spend time in silence and discovering and becoming aware of who you are, that we've been picked out. We've been chosen to be picked on Mm. because we got it like that. We have the power in us. People fear us for the most part because of our genius, because of our ability. To make it against the odds, because of all the things that have happened to us, I'll never forget one of the the moments I had to be dignified when I was having dinner with Sam Axelrod, who I worked for as a door to door salesman, and his his wife had said, "Why don't you invite Leslie over to the house to have dinner with us?" and and that was unusual. I'm seventy seven, so that was unusual a white couple inviting an African-American male to the house to have dinner. Okay. And so then his son came in Stanley with their four year old daughter. And, and so I'm seated at the table and he introduced me to Stanley and his wife and his granddaughter, Susie, I'll never forget. And before we got ready to pray, she got up from her chair and she came around And I thought she was going to just shake my hand or something. And she stood behind my chair and I could feel a little hands at the back of my chair and, and, and it's feeling my butt. And I said, excuse me. I said, what are you doing? She asked me, where is it? Where is it? And I asked her, I said, where's what, where is your tail? Mommy, I can't find his tail. And she was about to cry. I said, I clipped it off because when I, when I was seating sitting down, it would hurt so much. And I didn't want it to continue to hurt, so I clipped it off. And so she said, okay. She asked me, will it grow back? And I said, yes, it will. Now, I could have said, what in the hell are you feeling my ass looking for? Goddamn!" Are <laughs> you low? Know, I'm sorry. You know, I, you know, it's a little girl. She was taught that I had a tail. People who look like me are monkeys. Mm. She was taught that. But even though I was justified of being angry and and, and and going off the deep end, this is a baby. I retain a level of dignity and I needed a special moment for her. And I said, and when I go back, when I go back, I'm gonna let you know, okay. She said, okay, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> when he drove me home, the car was so quiet you could hear a rat pee on cotton.
0: <laughs> you know, you know that that story he said,
1: Les, I'm uh, sorry. I said, You don't have to apologize, Sam.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You don't have to apologize.
0: Yeah. So Sam I I, I suspect there are folks listening right now who, who hear the story and there are parts of it that are funny. But when you said to Sam, Sam, you ain't got to apologize. I know some Negroes listening right now who wouldn't who wouldn't they they wouldn't have gone that easy on Sam. Uh, And their take on their their take on this is that that little girl learned that somewhere. And so you told Sam, Sam didn't have to apologize. But this girl needed to be corrected. I, I take your point that in that moment, perhaps it was not your place in that moment at a dinner party that you've been invited to by some white folk. You wanted to remain dignified, even though you were justified. Um, is your point that you know that her being taught uh, uh, the, the the proper way to en- engage black folk was not your domain because you you told Sam Absolutely you told Sa- you told Sam Sam you ain't got to worry about it don't worry about it no no because he's
1: not going to do that that's not my duty uh, Sam served the purpose I have a mother. And six brothers and sisters who needed me to make money so we can have food on the table. Mama was sick. Mm -hmm. I had to make some money. I had to sell some television sets. Mm -hmm. I had to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing was that Sam was a conduit for me making money Mm -hmm. to provide for our family when Mama could no longer work at the M&M cafeteria and clean homes on Miami Beach. And Mama took care of my brothers and sisters. She adopted seven children. I was among the oldest, me and my twin brother, Wesley. Wesley took care of them and took care of Mama while I worked. No,
0: that was not my place. Yeah. In case you didn't know, uh, Les just told you something about his backstory. Les is a twin. Leslie is his real name, Leslie and Wesley. So Les is a twin. Uh, but Wes, with all due respect, doesn't do what Les does. Les been motivating us for years. We are honored to have him in this month-long radio residency on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. All right, Les Brown, I'm going to do something I've never done in uh, the entire month of your radio residency. I I knew when you told that story <laughs> that you were going that you were going to hit a nerve. The minute we got to break, Miles got Miles got in my ear. My 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 board up, JD, my producer got in my ear. I'm putting both of them on microphone right now so they can tell you how they process the story you told. J.D., what's your take first on what you heard, let's say, about the little white girl thought he had grown a tail?
2: Yeah, my take is simply where do you draw the line? Um, You know, I think about I was just talking to Tavis about this. If I go to dinner and I have a white server who is obviously doing a horrible job Mm -hmm. and at the end of the service, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm expected to tip them what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to in that moment not tip them and then possibly reinforce the stereotypes that black people Mm. don't tip? Or, you know, do I (laughs) speak up in that moment and disregard the fact that I unfortunately don't just represent myself, but I also represent, unfortunately, you know, black people just like me. Take take that, Les Brown. That's
1: a very good question. Number one, I would not tip them because I don't want to reinforce bad behavior. But TIP stands for to ensure, prompt, Service. So I tip in the beginning. And I said something to my twin brother yesterday. He had some bad service the other day. He complained to the manager. And I said, Had they already served you your food? I said, You were making a very serious mistake. He said, Why? I wanted the manager to know this guy had a bad attitude. I said, He apologized to you, and he lined up as they took turns spitting in your food. Mm. You never make an argument or try to be right with somebody who takes your food behind closed doors. So if somebody gives me bad service, I'm not going to tip them. I tip up front, and I always get
0: good service because I tip up front. Tip to ensure prompt service. All right, Miles. How did you take story, uh, Les' story about the little white girl?
2: Um, it caught me off guard because my mom and my parents always taught me that, uh, you know, when you're not in a comfortable situation, you have every right to get up and leave. So I don't understand. I get not causing a scene right there. I get not taking it out on the child. I also, get not taking it out on the brother that gave you ride home. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't get in a ride with somebody that made me feel that kind of uncomfortableness as well, Les. So that's where it threw me off. At. You're
0: talking to a millennial now, Les Brown.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel. I didn't feel uncomfortable. Because I I knew that 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 where we are, the kind of culture that I live in, I knew, and and so she was just expressing what they lived in and and what they believe about us. I wasn't uncomfortable because I I don't have a tail and I don't grow tails. It was okay, and I was determined for them not to. Get me off center. And this is what Howard Thurman talked about and and why I believe it's very important for us to stand up inside ourselves and not react but respond in a way that serves our best interests. Had I got up and left and, and been insulted, I had to walk home from Miami Beach over to Overtown, didn't have the money, and I'd have lost my job. So no, it, I had to put things in perspective.
0: So, so it raises this question, which we'll get to when we come forward in our remaining moments with Les Brown. Uh, when do you chin check white folk? That's that's the question. The question is when do the good white folk get, deserve to get chin checked? We'll get to that in our remaining oh, moments. Boy, we, I can, I'm, I've done that real well, good. Uh, all yep. right, stand by. We, we, we want to hear the other side then. When do they get chin checked? You're listening to the motivator Les Brown on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. One more comment from our producer, J.D., who who, who, uh, was discussing this with me during the break lesson. Then we'll get this final question to you about when we do check folk who maltreat us and push back against our humanity and our dignity Uh, talking about jesus and the
2: disinherited (laughs) i digress your point right quick jd yes uh real quick and thank you for about thank you for that advice about tipping in advance i'll be sure to carry that with me moving forward but i just i guess the broader question i was trying to get to is when do i have when can i think about myself versus thinking about the collective when i'm in those situations uh as a black person amongst white white people i we don't
1: I don't believe that you and I, given who we are, that we don't want to be thinking in terms of just ourselves. Dr. King would be alive perhaps today, and Malcolm, if they just thought about themselves as opposed to the collective. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility. Somebody paid the price for us to be here. And so, and many of them went to jail, water-hosed, and beaten, and lost their lives. So that's not an option for you or for me. We must understand that. Notice that when, 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 when there's a mass shooting, they never say a white shooter. They will always identify the color of the shooter if the, the shooter is black. That's the only time to identify. they identify. They don't talk about white-on-white killings. They don't do that. And, and, and so the, the thing is that they make blanket indictments of us so that as we look at ourselves, We carry the burden. I don't call it a burden. I I say it's an opportunity for us to hold ourselves to a higher standard because we have access. Let me tell you why I got fired from radio. And I I understand this. There was a Kahiki incident. A black guy had been beaten, a Vietnam veteran, at the Kahiki incident on Broad Street in Columbus, Ohio. I went on the air, and I spoke out against it. The mm -hmm. general manager, he opposed that. He said, don't talk about this anymore. And I said, I will continue to talk about it. The next morning I came to the station, the lock was changed. So guess what I did? I, they didn't have the courage to, to, this is the young Les Brown. I'm not proud of this. So I want to just preface this. (laughs) I looked up and there was a light on the window, the engineer's room. I drove my car up to the side of the building. I got on top of my car, knocked on the window. I said, Nick Bodie, do you know I'm crazy? He said, yes. I said, then open this door. Do you hear me? He said, I had nothing to do with it. He came and he opened the door. Mike Reeves, who saw me, the jock who I trained, he went out the back door. I went on the air. I said, this is Les Brown. There will be no music today. I'm going to talk about police brutality. I'm going to talk about James Allen Rhodes, the governor, tell him to pack his bags because we're going to vote his behind out of office. I'm going to talk about the mayor, Maurice Ferre, and all of well, he's never, Brent the the Brent Sensenbrenner, and why we're going to vote him out of office. And so they have fired me. Mm -hmm. So they called the Upper Arlington Police. I barricaded myself in the studio. They knocked on the window. Young man, you've been fired, you're trespassing. I said, I can't come out. He said, come out now, you're trespassing. I said, look at all this furniture. I can't get past this furniture. Move it. I said, hell no, I don't work for free. I can't come out. You come in, and I'll cooperate, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody can hear it. They're coming in. They're trying to get in now. They had to call somebody to break the door down, and they arrested me. (laughs) They took me out of the studio in handcuffs. God sent me an angel named David Vines from Columbus, Ohio. A brother came up and said, you can't take him outside in handcuffs. They asked, why not? said have you looked outside? Says no. <laughs> look outside. Over no. three thousand black people yeah. had filled the field. He said, "Les, you promise not to come back here again?" I said, "I promise. My work is done here." Yeah,
0: I promise. I, we got we I'm got through. We got sixty. And se- they
1: took my handcuffs off and let me out.
0: We got. Six, we got. <laughs> we got <laughs> that's a crazy story. The young Les Brown. We got sixty seconds, Les. Uh Tell tell me when. Uh, to your mind we do in fact check white people even though you didn't that night at that dinner
1: oh well you check them when they get out of hand and in in situations where you your dignity is on the line and that it's not about your ego it's not about your your propensity for being emotional but asking yourself the question is this the best highest expression of the choice that I need to make Got in it. this particular moment with my energy.
0: Nope. I get it. And I take, I take the point. some
1: situations you need to just walk away.
0: I take your point. I take your point. And I take the point that JD made earlier. His point is that, you know, you don't, you don't want to make a decision that reinforces something that they already think negatively about us. But less point is, but if your dignity is on the line, Certainly, if your life is on the line, you gotta you got to weigh that. I take both of your points, and we'll leave it there for now. You've been listening to You've Got to Be Hungry with the motivator, Les Brown. We'll continue this class tomorrow on KBLA Talk 1580. Until then, thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep the faith.